Welcome to Kashris on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashris Magazine. I know it's already, uh, Tubishvat is already over and we're into a new year with the trees, but I would like to share with you a few thoughts. Uh, I think of very interesting pieces that will we'll be for all year round, not just for Tubishvat. We're going to start with uh, two things that Rabbi Miller said that were just brought up to us from Torahs Avigdor, which I advise everybody to get a hold of, torahsavigdor.com. You'll be able to go on there and, and sign up. They get a daily email. And um, the we're going to talk about Shechianu a, bit, a little bit. And then I want to discuss some of the fruit lists. The Star K put out one, his doctors are Rabbanim in New Square. And I'm going to share with you some thoughts from all of them. And I think it'll be very clear um, even though everyone disagrees on some things, but there's a lot of agreement, and I think you'll you'll find it very helpful. I didn't compare it to last year. I don't have time for that, but uh, I'll share with you this year because that's where we are now. Then I'm going to talk about Grain Brain. Um, not sure that I have all the information yet, but I've emailed them and haven't heard back, so I'm going to go with the information I have right now. And then we're going to talk a little bit about products from Israel, the, the, their separation of trumas and maestras, and oral problems, thir- the first three years of the product, and that's very much ties into our whole Shechiano issue, and it's all beautifully worked out together. And then I want, if I have time, I have three things here. One is called the Siddur Avodas Halev, which I want to comment on. Um, there's a question that Rabbi Belsky poskin regarding open heel slippers for Shabbos. I want to get to that. And then I want to talk about an anti-Semitic airplane ride, which was reported in one of the newspapers. And I think it's very important for everybody to hear about it. And I'll be able, if we get that far tonight, if not, maybe we'll pick it up next week. But let's start with Rabbi Miller. That's a good place to start. Now, Rabbi Miller, in the Torah of Vigdor this week, or probably today, yeah, it's today. And he said that there was a uh, a minag in the years gone by, and it still goes on, of course, that he said the Chachamim used to get together on the night of Hamisha Asar Bishvat, and some people do it maybe during the daytime, and they ate fruit. But he says eating is only a superficial act. It's made to meant to awaken your, think, your mind to thinking thoughts of Hashem, because that's what fruit is for to remind us about Hashem. The Gemara in Brachos, Daf Mem Dalen Amud Aleph, tells of Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish how they used to go out to a field of Ginos in Genosar, and they ate the Peyros Genosar, which were very, very delicious. And it's a whole discussion. The Gemara, I'm not going to get into what the Gemara said, but they ate so much till they almost fainted from overeating. And uh, they, there was, they became... Filled, filled with these with these Paris Ganusa that were um, unbelievably t- well tasting and and also they were uh, they took over the over the whole person and Reish Lakish it says ate so much that he became wild almost drunk with happiness so what was he happy about the, he was thinking about the Chesed of Hashem to provide these foods and uh, finally Rabbi Yochanan had to ask the Nasi to send policemen to take Reish Lakish home because he was so affected by the Paris Genusser. So the purpose of this Gemara is not to say, you know, that they got drunk with the fruits, but it's to say that they were enthusiastic, says Rob Miller, about the fruits. 
and what and the chesed of Hakadosh Baruch Hu and providing these special fruits and the, they taste so delicious and so special. He said uh, that fruit is most desirable because it brings wisdom. Looking at a beautiful orange or a beautiful apple, then you start thinking about the color and how Hashem made it, etc., etc. There's a taisus, which is a very important for all of us, on, in Brachos Daf uh, Lamed Zayin Amud Aleph. Taisus discusses the Bracha Achrona for foods, the Brain of Fashos Rabos. And he talks about it. He says that the Hashem provides these luxuries beyond what, what a person needs just to live. He gives food beyond it. And uh, it's give us ta'anug, to give us pleasure. What are these luxuries? Toysa says, for example, apples. Because apples, you could do without apples, says Ramiller. Apples are a special chesed. That we have a it's like dessert. It's a special thing. Makes us enjoy it very much. And he goes on a little talk about the apple. And the point being that the whole idea of eating these fruits on Tubishvat or any time is to get feeling of the chesed of Akadish Baruch. And here's a here's a line that uh, classic of Miller. So when you pass a fruit stand, don't walk like by like a horse walks by. Take a look. Those delectable fruits are resplendent testimonies to the Neflois Habayre, which of course fits in with the Parshas B'Shalach we just had with the Nisim, and the Kaddish Baruch is providing Nisim all the time. And that's how you have to eat a fruit on Chamisha B'Shvat, and Ramila says, and that's how you should be eating fruit all year long as well. Now there's another thought that Rabbi Miller had, which also was just, we just got it um, t- today as well, I believe. No, I pulled them out today. Maybe it was, maybe we came earlier. And that is, oh no, that's this one over here. I'm sorry. It was yesterday. Uh, Motzei Shabbos, you get the, oh, yesterday was Sunday. So it was Sunday then. It, Rav Miller talked about, maybe this was even before Shabbos. I'm not sure. It, the Rav Miller talked about the, the, uh, the trees. And you know, we're, you know, there's a, a famous Gemara, which, I'm sorry, this is the Pirkei Abbas. The famous uh, Mishnah in Pirkeiavus, which tells about somebody who's learning Torah, and then he stops, and he looks at a tree, and he says, This tree is beautiful. And it says in the Mishnah, he's Mishaya Benafsho. He should be killed. He should forfeit his life. In the middle of learning, he stopped and looked at a tree? And Ramila comments on that. Which is very, I never heard this one before. It's great. It says, he says that uh, it depends how you look at that tree and what your thoughts are. If a, let's say a person's learning a Torah and he says, How beautiful is the tree? How beautiful are the creations of Hashem? I can see the hand of a Kaddish Baruch Hu in this tree and I'm thanking him. That's learning. And that's learning from the tree. That's different. That's not stopping from learning. So he says, if a person is learning and he says an idle remark like, oh, how beautiful is this tree? But not because he's studying Chobos Alvavos Shah HaBechina. He's not looking at the wonders of the Bayre. Then certainly he's doing wrong. It's the same as stopping and saying, hey, I need a smoke. I want to smoke. That, that's, you know, that obviously is not a mitzvah. And it's, it, it shows he wasn't impre- appreciate the fact that he was learning Torah. But 
if he's enjoying it in order to see the Chochmas of Hashem and the Chesed of Hashem and to express his gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's not stopping learning. Suppose a person is learning Baba Kama and he stops to learn Baba Metziah in the middle. That's not that's a Veira. What, what that's nothing wrong with that. It's stopping to learn Torah, to learn Torah. So that's how Ramilla touched up looking at the tree. Very interesting take. I love that one. Now, I'm going to share with you a few thoughts from uh, Heshi Kahan, who puts out a weekly uh, piece in the, uh, in, in, in the, uh, the, they, have a, they have a weekly publication that comes out from the Kolail, uh, Manhattan Beach Kolail, and uh, Rabbi Heshi Kahan is a chavar of the Kolail, and I'm going to share with you only a few points that he mentioned. It's talking about Shechianu. And these are things that most people really don't know. I mean, it, most of his things are, are, are unique, although he may repeat from year to year, but they're pretty unique, and uh, a lot of people don't know them at all. You know, somebody was bothering me about this even before, uh, a few days ago, but on my shear on Sunday, and they were asking about uh, an esrog jelly. You know, want to make a shechianu on an esrog jelly. So we tried to convince them, and then we had to show them in the Mishnah Brewer. And Mishnah Brewer says that you don't make a bracha, a uh, shechianu, on esrog, because an esrog stays on the tree throughout the whole year, and not just one year, it could be a number of years, and it, it looks fresh all the time. It doesn't, uh, you know, uh, get weak and, and then come back again or whatever. It is not a recycle. It's the same esrog. And it's there on the tree, doing fine all winter, all summer, for years. And then you take it off whenever you feel ready to, whenever it looks like you wanted to, that esrog. But it doesn't definitely can stay on for years, and therefore, it doesn't qualify for shechianu. And there's more reasons also. We'll see in a second. So the, the common misunderstanding is people think that they haven't eaten a fruit in a year. That's called a new fruit. It's not true. So here's what Heshi writes. This, um, <clears throat> this is common misconception of which the Shulchan Aruch clearly says to be otherwise. As even if one has not eaten a particular fruit for years, one should only make a Shechianu if he's ready to eat the fruit of which the new crop just became available. So if you never had this fruit in your life, a dragon fruit or some disgusting thing that you see uh, that they, they sell. I saw yesterday, $7, or so, I think I can even look at it, that's so terrible. And maybe it tastes good, maybe it doesn't, I have no idea. You've never seen this in your life. Who knows how long it's been around in this country? They took them into the Jewish stores for Tu twice a year, or Shoshonah, and Tu they take all this stuff into the Jewish stores. It wouldn't sell all year. Nobody's interested in those things. They're not that great. They, they look funny, and they, they, very often they don't taste that great. It's, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things. I, mean, I, had, you know, I had jackfruit once. A lot of things that are very, supposed to be uh, wonderful, it, didn't, it doesn't really uh, give you any high. It's not, it's not a big pleasure. But whatever it is, it, it, the fact that it's not new means there's no shechianu. The fact that you've never eaten it does not qualify to make a shechianu. I think most people... Uh, never got this point, and that's clear in the Shulchan Aruch. If you want to look it up, it's in uh, it's in uh, Reish Chafhei, 
And over there, it's quite clear what to do. Okay? Now, that's why you don't make a shechiyano on a new cut of meat or a piece of fish, even because their availability exists all year long. And something that existed all year long, it's just that it was taken into So it has to be that the new crop came. So if you never ate it, and it's from a new crop, you say a shachiano. But if you ate, and and if and if you did eat it, as long as it's a new crop, you can say a shachiano. And you could say, according to the Moshe Feinstein, you could say even if a few times a year they have new crops. And we in the, the America today are buying from different parts of the world, and possibly we should, be, if they're new crops, possibly we should be making it very often. Since you don't even know, so I suppose it, it, it gets a little sticky, and there's also maybe uh, the fact that it was maybe within 30 days is a problem. So I, 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 many people don't get that special feeling about the fruits that they eat and that they should make a shach, you know, because there's a, an aspect where Moshe talks about it in one of his chubas, there's an aspect of the simcha that you have to have. If a person really doesn't get excited about it, it doesn't mean very much to him, then he really shouldn't be reciting a shechiyano. It's like a person, here's how my Rebbe, Rav Asher Zim and Zatzal used to teach. If a person buys a jalopy, it costs him, I don't know, in the, those days it was $100, now maybe it's $1,000, $1,000 car. I think that's a fair idea. That's a jalopy, uh, maybe uh, five hundred dollars of the jalopy, but it's a it's a really shvacha car. It's got you know really yeshivish. <laughs> Question if it's going to make it through two months to the summer. So he buys this car. Does he say a shechianu or a tova meitiv? So Rav Zimmerman Zatzal said no, because that's not a real car. That's something that's just you know, filling in for the time, the, the the enthusiasm is not there. When you buy a new car, even a used car, you're spending ten, twenty thousand dollars on it, and it's a used car, and you feel special about it. Yes, you make the shachiyano or batova meitiv on that car, but a car for a thousand dollars or less, maybe you need it for a week or two, and maybe it'll last a month or two, but you can't bank on it, and you throw it away if anything serious happens to it. One of those kind of deals, somebody gave it to you, you know, you fix it up for $1,000, they gave you free. There's no excitement there. It's just, I have to have a car, and now I have a car. It's like, you know, it's like a metro car. It's not much more. So if that's the story, says Rav Zimman, you don't make the bracha, because the simcha isn't there. But, says Rav Zimman, if you're a kid, you're a 17-year-old boy, and you got your license, and now you could drive, and you were you earned a thousand dollars over the summer, and you bought yourself a car. You're going crazy over that car, and for you, you make a shechiano, because that's what it because it means a lot to you. So it has to do with the feelings, and since people don't have that great feeling about a a, a piece of fruit, so I don't know how easy it is to make a shechiano any time during the year on a fruit. That's, that's my feeling. And um, <laughs> there's a lot of sources to back it up. The same thing happens with suits. If a person buys always the suits on a sale, it costs them $100, $150, and it may be even less, $79, and he buys five or six at a minute of time, it's just because he has to have a suit, but it, it doesn't require shechino. But a suit for Shabbos, 
You paid $500 for it, paid $1,000 for that suit, you make a shechianu. Because it's not the dollar amount, it's the chashivas of it. It's the enthusiasm, the excitement, the simcha, that's what's causing the shechianu. Another point here is if only one makes if only one makes a shechianu and a fruit that just becomes available for the first time that year, would one make the brocha on a fruit that's imported from elsewhere? This is a very common question. Do we make brochas on fruits that are imported from other countries? While some say the shechianu is still able to be made, it seems from most poskim that since one that since one is able to get that this fruit all year long, one would not make the, the, the bracha as it's lacking the required simcha. The fact that we got it now, and it's not new, not a new crop, like for example, they, they have them in Manhattan. All year long, the stores in Manhattan, you can buy the most exotic fruits. You'll pay for it, but pay very dearly for it, but you could buy them all year round because we have people supplying it all year round from different countries. Even things you would never, ever imagine getting in that time of year. But they're there. They're there in these, in these shops. So if now you go stop in there, if you didn't get something that came in fresh new, you don't make a shechianu, even though you just bought it now, because it's there all year. I'm, I'm, I don't want to get lost in all the details, because we have so much to do. I just want um, to point out what he says here about canned fruit and dried fruits. Can you make a shechianu on canned fruit? If fruit does not grow a whole year, but it's canned, like lychees or frozen, thereby making itself available to the purchaser by everyone throughout the year, it would then not be considered a shechianu fruit. So canned and frozen does not get shechianu. This is true even if this particular person has not eaten this fruit for a long time. And then many people don't understand that. Okay, but it's obviously there all the time in the frozen variety and the canned variety for years probably. Are there any fruits that you would definitely not make a shechianu? So, one that's dried, according to Rivervos Ephraim, Ephraim Greenbrat, he said, no, you can't make a bracha on dried fruits and spreads. Um, anything that's not seasonal doesn't get a shechianu. Grafted fruits don't get shechianu. Something that's hardened to the point where it loses its taste completely. Boxer does not get a shechianu. So this is a little bit of a taste, excuse the expression, of a shechianu. And now I'm going to go on to discuss some of the inspections and how to handle different fruits. I want to tell you about this with the Star K. I'm not going to read to you all the details in the Star K fruit list. It's called Checking Fruits. I, I just want to stress what they are saying, which is similar to the Hamish ones, the, uh, the, you know, the Isaktas Arabonim and the New Square and when we lit last week from Rabbi Vaya. Obviously, the position of the Star K is more liberal, more, more uh, you know, not easier in dealing with these things than the Hamish company, Hamish HaShkachas, which are much more strict about it. But what I get excited about is the fact, the second part, the part where they say, we have problems here. So I'm reading from the Star K, and I want you that to go into the brain, because just as the Star K may be more easygoing on many things, here's what they say about the following. Carib. 
Look for holes on the outside, which are a sign of infestation. Then break it open in several places to check for infestation. So in other words, you can't eat a piece of carob as is. You can't eat buxer, just bite into it, according to the star K. Dates and figs. It's recommended to slice open a few out of each container and check inside. Note, due to potential improper storage concerns, these guidelines apply even if the fruit has a hexer. So Star K says dates and figs, special concerns. You just can't eat them out of the box, out of the bag. Now, here's very topical. Blackberries, raspberries are N-O, says the Star K. N-O, not recommended. Checking is not practical. Blackberries and raspberries. I don't care what you see, what you heard elsewhere. The Star K says, don't go for the blackberries or the raspberries. Number three, they said goji berries, which I mentioned in my magazine. I mean, actually, in the, I think it's before the magazine. I'm not sure anymore if it was in the magazine or it's going to the monthly, cautious monthly, but I, we mentioned this stuff. The goji berries, the entire kosher world is nixing the goji berries. Anybody who's got a shkocha on it is dropping their shkocha ex post facto, which means even if it has their shkocha on it, they're saying, don't use it. Goji berries, dry goji berries are N-O. Now, how come those who gave the shkocha didn't know about it? And I can't answer. But again, goji berries, dry goji berries are N-O. Blackberries, raspberries, goji berries, N-O according to the star K. And he, I love that this one about pineapple because a lot of people come and say you're being so religious about this and making everybody crazy. You're, you're, saying, you're, you're answering everything. I'm reading from the Star K. Okay, here's what the Star K says. Mites are being found in the crown and outer rind as well as the inside of the blossom cups and crevices if the pineapple is not peeled properly. The pineapple should be peeled until only yellow fruit is visible. The fruit and cutting board should be rinsed after peeling since the insects often crawl into the cutting board, onto the cutting board. The crown and rind should not be used on decorative platters since the insects can transfer it to other fruit. And of course, you shouldn't crush it and use it as a drink. Now, I'm, I'm reading here, that last line was me, but I read here just straight off the Star K how to check fruits and vegetables. Fruits, actually. So I'm skipping some of the ones that they're very lenient about because I just can't, I don't want to confuse everybody. But I wanted you to hear the Star K position on these because that sets the stage about how we should be looking at these things and not saying, oh, I heard and I see and people eat and I know and we never said that. What are these people coming from today? They're making us crazy. Okay, Star K said you got to check the figs and dates, at least part of them can't eat the carob without doing something to it. You can't eat goji berries, you can't eat blackberries, you can't eat raspberries. At pineapple, you have to clean, clean it up very well, cut it off very, very well, no brown whatsoever. Otherwise, you're in trouble. And be careful on the cutting board not to let those things get crawl into your food. That's what the Star K said. Now, I'm going on to some of the things from the Hisakta Sarabonim. I know that when I read some of this, and I don't have time to read everything, 
I know that it, it gets a little confusing, but I can't help you. It's a little hard for me to make a decision. I can't decide between A, B, and C. Last week, we read some things from Rabbi Vaya. We mentioned some things from Rabbi Goldstein. We're now going to mention some things from the CRC and uh, the Hisachtas Arbonim and some things from the uh, New Square. And I'm not going to pick too many, so it, it, it won't be that difficult. We mentioned before about the Carib. So listen to how the, the Hisachtas says. Carib tends to be very infested. The insects are mostly found inside the fruit. One must first inspect the outside for signs of infestation, such as webbing, a lot of crumbs, holes. If the outside looks clean, the carob should be broken into small pieces and the inside should be checked for webbing, a lot of crumbs or holes. If any of these signs of infestation is found, the entire carob should be discarded. Due to the high level of infestation and difficulty in inspecting carobs, we do not give hashkocha on this fruit. You will not find hisachtas rabbanim on any of the carob that's being sold today. So, you know, that's a big statement. Now, I told the story before about, uh, I don't, I'm not going to go it again, about a certain company that was using raisins and it had hisachtas rabbanim and they checked the samples of it and they were making it very difficult for the man to, to ever use any of these, and he dropped the raisins completely. He used currants instead. So it, I know they're doing a serious job on inspecting, and and they say this can't can't be done by them. Can't be done. A few more points. They have an interesting one here with pictures. It's a little confusing to me, but we got it all here. Um, number five. Five is... Uh, where is five? <laughs> five is the blueberries. Okay, blueberries is very interesting. Uh, we gave out basically from Rabbi, Rabbi Goldstein to avoid the blueberries, and many people are using blueberries, and I've spoken to people who feel confidence using blueberries, but it's important to, to listen to what the serious kashrus agencies are saying, that the, and they're trying to give Ashkacha on them, especially at, you know, places like uh, uh, the supermarkets where they have mashkichim, we're checking and making uh, plates of fruit. All types, whether fresh or frozen, even if they are of excellent quality, are often infested, and they bold that, are often infested at the crown. In addition, scales can be found on the outer skin. Therefore, they should not be eaten. That's the position of the CRC, the of the of the Sachta Sarabonim Williamsburg. Those with our hashkocha have been carefully inspected by professional mashkichim and are free of insects. So they feel that they've been able to do enough. I spoke to somebody this past week, and he tells me that he thinks he does enough, and he's got a different hashkocha. He's actually under the new square, and he he's putting them out also. Um, limited supplies, but he is putting them out. So, yes. If you're a professional and you you've been able to check it, great. But if you have if you don't have that ability and you you haven't really studied the field at all, skip it. I mean, we we can get along fine without it. You must have them. So then you'll discuss with somebody further about how you could prepare them. Okay. 
Now, another one, dates. This is important what I'm telling you now. And it's it, it makes all the difference. It depends where the dates come from. All right, meeting his Rabbanim. Dried from California are generally free of infestation. Therefore, one is not obligated to inspect them. However, since in some cases worms can be found in the fruit, it's advisable to open them and check the area around the pit, which is what we always do anyway. Those from other countries, which we, and Turkey is the one that, where most of them come from, those from other countries are often infested. Therefore, one is mechuyev to open the dates and check the worms in the area around the pit. So when you're getting Turkish dates, I can tell you they have a lot of these dates that have insects in them. I can't tell you why. I mean, it's the climate or whatever. It's the handling. I don't know what it is. But it, it's really true. And it's a quite a qualitative difference, everybody is saying, between the California dates and the Turkish dates. So uh, I, I still would check them all. And I, I would always say they're very easy to see these insects. It shows up beautifully on that light, uh, you know, apricot uh, background. It's, it's an easy thing to see the insects. They definitely are visible. You don't have to strain your eyes whatsoever. You don't have to have any training. Any little kid could find them. Don't worry about it. Just open them up, take a quick look, and you're good. The grapes, that is, as we said, there are different opinions. And I want to read what they say, Isaacus Abunim says about dates. I mean, grapes. All kinds from any country of origin are often infested. Therefore, the following steps must be taken. Each cluster should be divided into smaller clusters, which should then be thoroughly rinsed three times under a strong stream of cold water. One should ensure that each grape is completely and strongly rinsed. If one wants to eat them on Shabbos or Yom Tov, it should be washed before Shabbos or Yom Tov. Now, this is what they're saying. We had mentioned from Rabbi Vaya, actually through Rabbi Goldstein, who, who was saying that you should check, you should first soak it in water for, for three minutes and then you put it on the faucet, etc., etc. Rabbi Goldstein also suggested breaking into small clusters. Um, this, there are obviously different methods, and what's good to do is to speak to somebody who has been doing this, who is knowledgeable, and maybe he could even show you what they mean. And I'm going to just, for contrast, even though I'm still working on Nisachtas Rabbanim, I'm going to read a few words from the, uh, the, the New Square, what they say about grapes. There are, there are no insects within the grape itself. The insects are found only on the outer surface. Grapes should be removed from their cluster. The entire surface of each individual grape should then be thoroughly rubbed while being held under a, string, a strong stream of water. Rubbing it, that's the point. Rubbing dislodges the insects from the grape skins. But you never see anything. Okay, you don't see it. But you saw that you, you don't see them in the pineapple either, do you? And the star case says, be very careful with the pineapple. We're telling you the grapes, you're not going to see them, but they'll be careful. Now, if you can't see them, are we going to go through the whole thing again? No. We're talking about you won't see them without being more aware of them. Yes, you can see them if you are looking for them in the right way. But if you just, 
you're not going to see them uh, running around, doesn't mean that there's nothing there. So this is uh, the way they're suggesting it. It's a rubbing. So each one takes a little bit of a different technique, and you'll just have to choose whatever you want. But yes, we are eating grapes, but we all are recommending something be done for them. Nobody just says, forget about it. Even the star, even the star K um, wants you to wash it very strongly also, wash it under the, a, a direct stream of water. In other words, they're giving it, they're saying that grapes are not like an apple. You just don't say, I don't see anything. No, expect there is something on the grape. Everybody is telling you that. All right, we'll go a little further. And I have, I see, I can't possibly get into all of it. The figs is the most interesting. You see, Star K admits there's problems with figs, but the Hamish Hashkachas are advising against the figs completely. Because it, it's almost impossible. The dried figs, it's impossible to check. I saw it. I was trained. Rabbi Goldstein took us. We went down to Positive twice, and he was there, and he showed us how to look. And you take a, a fig, and you squish it on a, a piece of paper, and you examine it, and you'll see the insects. The, you would, naked eye, you wouldn't have seen it. But if you do the procedure, you're going to find them. Definitely, you're going to find them in there. You're going to find a very high percentage in dried figs. So let me read a little bit from Hisachtas what they say about the dried figs. He says over here, the dried one of the flesh of the fruit is very infested between the seeds. Since it's so difficult to find these worms, many people refrain from eating dried figs. And it gives a lengthy way to prepare it. And I'm going to read it to you just to realize how ridiculously hard this is. The fig should be cut in half and the bottom indented portion should be sliced off. The seeds should then be pressed out from under which, from under each half and smoothed and spread out with one's hands. They should be held against a strong light until the seeds become transparent and inspected for worms. A light box is not sufficient for this since this light cannot penetrate the thickness of the seeds. In other words, you're going to ruin it. And then maybe if you don't find anything and you know what you're looking for, then you could eat it. Who wants to? <laughs> it's, 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 he said over here in the end that the, the, uh, he says, due to the high level of infestation and difficulty in inspecting dried figs, we do not give a kashkoch on this fruit. Okay, but I wouldn't give you a recommendation to eat it after they prepared it. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not edible anymore. So this gives you a little bit of an idea from the Sartas Rabbanim. Since we, the time is moving along, even though I see I, I didn't cover everything I'd like to, And by the way, Hisakthas has a wonderful piece on nuts, but I'm just not going to have time for it. And the nuts is not just the question of inspection. They mention about some of the nuts that have kashrus issues, even dairy issues. So, for example, um, number five is the sunflower seed. I'm going to read from Hisakthas. Uh It says here, unshelled, that means that it, it, it's a whole seed, even salted, are not bishalakum. However, they may be kashrus concerns regarding flavoring and even possibly cholov akum. 
on sunflower seeds are sometimes because they, they, they spray it and they, just, and they put flavors on it, and therefore some of them are actually dairy. We're talking about a sunflower seeds within the shell. The ones that have been shelled, you need a good hashgacha, but they're usually free of any infestation, and uh, it's advisable to check it a little bit, but you don't have to make yourself crazy over those. Now, I'm not going to go more onto the nuts and more onto this. I just want to give you a few points from the new square. And um, basically, the things are, are pretty much the same. One thing that they mention is cherries. Now, I don't, my experience with cherries has always been good, but I see that people are constantly mentioning issues with cherries. There were problems in Europe before I was born. There were definitely problems in Europe. It was a, a common problem in cherries. Today, we've never seen these, but in the, all these booklets, they started mentioning cherries. So I'm going to read to you from the uh, New Square. New Square Kashmir's Council, NSK. You've seen it Hashgacha many times. Grade 8 cherries grown in the USA are generally clean. It's strongly recommended to open a few cherries and examine them around the pit. If those selected for inspections are found to be clean, the rest of the batch may be used. If, however, worms are found in even in any of those few cherries, that each of the rest of the cherries must be cut open and inspected before eating. So, obviously, there are bad batches. So, if you want to do a, a, a some you know sampling checking, that's what they're suggesting on the cherries. Now, citrus peel, which people make a zest out of it, is a very big problem. Fresh or dried citrus fruit peels should not be eaten at all, since they may have dark scales a type of insect on them. And that's what many people eat, Pomeranzen. I remember when I was a kid, that was like a very popular thing. You know, they had the the, the, the rinds of uh, oranges and marmalade, etc. So that was very common uh, to use those skins. But we're finding that they have scales on many of them, and we don't advise it. That's what, this, that's what New Square is saying. Uh, I give you just, since you mentioned, we mentioned the other countries, so it's interesting they have a piece on dates and it tells you the number of countries from New Square. It tells you that the USA-grown medjool dates are generally less infested. However, it's recommended to check each one carefully. But I listen to the other countries. Dates from Pakistan are highly infested with worms and dates from Tunisia are highly infested with scales. It's advisable not to use them at all. So don't take from Pakistan or Tunisia. That's all. And uh, just the strawberries I'm not going to get into now. It's really, you know, we've, we've done that before. And I think uh, now it's time to go on to something else. Okay. I mentioned before, I hope I'm going in order. I mentioned before grain brain. Now, I'm not telling you this is true because I only read it and I tried to contact the company, and so far they haven't answered my email. They may never answer it. A lot of them don't answer when I ask questions, so I don't, I'm not necessarily expecting they're going to answer. And it wasn't clear to me how to contact them by phone, but maybe, maybe there is a phone number. I probably will follow up with it. This was the first I've ever seen anything like this in my life. Again, I don't know that it's true, but this is the information that was provided to me. Grain Brain makes organic palm oil shortening. From palm oil, they make a shortening. 
and it has two hashgachos on them, very, very good hashgachos. And the, the thing is, each one of those hashgachos says that they produced it under their certification. So what would you think? I know what I would think. I would think you have two hashgachos on your product. Wouldn't you think that? That's why you have two hashgachos on the packaging, because you have two hashgachos on your product. But as I understand it now, that's not the case. It's either or. In other words, they get the palm oil processed from two sources. One has one hashgacha and one has the other. But their product does not have two hashgachas. It's using from either A or B. And you'll never know. That's why they're putting the two names on the outside. I, I, if I had, if I was giving the Ashkocha, I probably would pull my name off it and not allowed to use it. But then I might lose the account of where I'm making, <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting paid for to, to, to certify the original product. In any event, it's a little bit misleading, even though the two Ashkochas are very good, but it's a little misleading because it makes you think that the two Ashkochas in the product, when in reality it's either or which I've never seen in my life, either or. You know, I, when you see 400 scarfors on the on the packaging, five, it means that they all are agreeing that this product that in, you see in front of you is kosher, that they certified somewhere back in the system and not the final product, and that the two of them don't take responsibility for the final product. That's that's bizarre. And if, if one doesn't like what the other one is doing, well, I can't tell you. That's a new one to me. I'm, I'm going to keep my eye open for that in the future. Now, I mentioned about Trumas and Mises and Orla. And the reason I mentioned it is because I have a wonderful sheet here. I hope to be putting this in my magazine in a shorter form. Again, I don't know if I will, I won't. But it's a very interesting little piece. And um, it comes from the Rabbanut HaRashit of Eretz Yisrael. It's signed by Rabbi Mordechai Biederman. Who's the Manehel Hamador Lemitzvah Satluyas Baaretz Bereshus Berabbanu Tarashis LeYisrael? Now this Mordechai Biderman is is telling us exactly what's the status of the fruits and vegetables that are coming to us in America or anywhere outside of Israel. I'm going to translate a few lines from you, but it's the whole letter in Hebrew. Nachonli lahayom. It's true that today most of the product, produce that comes to us outside of Israel, whether it's fruits or vegetables, animal freshes, trumas and maizras. They don't take off truma and maizra. Now, it doesn't mean nothing. No one, no, we've, we definitely know that some companies are very careful about it. But as a rule, the produce is not have freshes, trumas and maizras. They assume since most of the places that take the, their produce are not Jewish owned and many cases are not servicing Jews principally, so they figure that rove of the people are Goyim and therefore they don't have a chiyuv to take off Trumas and Maizvus. In other words, the company, 
does not feel that they have to take off Trumas and Mises because they're selling it through a system that is handled by Goyim and they feel exempt from Trumas and Mises removal. Even though there is a machloikas whether or not you have to take off trumas and maises when you send something out of the country, the accepted tradition is that you do it that that you lo bracha that the accepted can, uh, way of doing things is that you do take off trumas and maises, but you don't make a bracha on it. There are potential oral issues with the fruits and vegetables that reach us in in Chutzlar. It actually means fruits, things that grow on a tree, right? What I'm going to read now is a list of products that do not have an oral problem. We'll have tumors and mice problems, but do not have an oral problem. And that's because they're coming from sources that the Rabbanut controls. Okay? That we can be pretty sure that there's no oral problem on these. Um, the citrus fruits like... Uh, uh, like, like like oranges, grapefruits, um, clementines. Uh, I don't know what this next one is, so I'm going to skip it. And uh, persimmon, avocado, mango, pomegranates, and dates. So I didn't really know that they're producing mangoes from Israel that are reaching chutzlarets. I didn't realize the avocados come from Israel sometimes. And the persimmons. So persimmons, maybe I did know. So you have to really keep your eyes open. All of these are going to be in fruits and vegetable stores throughout the throughout the country. And uh, but the only thing we're saying is that they don't have an oral problem. So that's the good news. The bad news is that trumas and mysis still has to be removed. And uh, I thought this was an interesting letter. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, since the time is uh, moving fast and I don't know where we're going to f- finish I just want to put in out of order Rabbi Belsky's psak on wearing open heel slippers outside on Shabbos where there's no Eruv. Rabbi Belsky, and I'm reading this, this is from the OU, because the OU puts out halachas of Rabelsky on a daily basis. You can get that list also. It's, I, I, right now I don't have it in front of me where to go, but on the OU website you can get this these uh, daily halachas the, from a, most of it's from a Rabelsky. It's in honor of in memory of Rabelsky that they do it. Uh, the Talmidim Rabelsky who within the OU, and they they it's not all the psukim from Rabelsky, but many of them are. Rabelsky uh, writes that one should not wear open heel slippers outside in Shabbos because they might slide off the foot, and the person might pick them up and carry them. However, if the slipper has a toe thong which the toes can grasp, we're not concerned that the slipper will fall off, and it's permissible to wear them. Rabelsky ruled, similarly, that one may wear an untied shoe outside, even though there's no Arab, so long as the shoe clings to the foot. However, if the laces are so loose that the shoe can come right off the foot, then it cannot be worn until you tighten the laces. 
So obviously it's got to do with the shoe and the foot, and I'm not going to go further. <laughs> now, we're up to uh, almost no time left, but I wanted to mention two things which I think were very important. One is this new sitter, Avodah Salev. It, it bothered me very much, I have to tell you, and everybody's capable of doing what they want, and I don't want to take sides in Machlikas and et cetera, et cetera. But it seems that with, I think it's a very bad sign that a new sitter has come into our midst. It was arranged by the RCA, which is fine, and it was in, uh, in it's being made by Corin. The Corin is a publishing house in Eretz Israel. They put out a lot of things. That you might have seen the Corin Tanakh was very common. People had it in the shul. They used to use that for um, for for haftorah. So yeah, it's a very a well-known name. It's been around for a long time. And they decided to do a new sitter and the, and to get away from art scroll sitter. That in itself is fine. You know, business is business and whatever you want to do, you want to do. But then I saw what are the innovations in the new sitter? That's what bothered me. Okay, anything about Eretz Israel, they have more tefillos for Eretz Israel. Uh, that's fine. I can't, I can't fault anybody. When I was a kid growing up, we used to say a tefillah for the Medina in the shul that I davened in. Uh, I don't see it here in Brooklyn. Maybe, you know, some shuls do it still, and some shuls do all across America do it. It's a wonderful thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But they don't do it in the shuls where I daven. It, it, I, I, the, the, whether it's for the Medina or the Tzahal or just the Jews living there, we definitely should be concerned about Eretz Israel. So... That's, you know, that's minhogim, and maybe there's principles behind it. I'm really not interested. But what bothers me is the new uh, innovations in this Siddur. So I'm going to share with you some of the innovations. And you have to know and understand who is, who is uh, embracing this Siddur. It's a lot of the women rabbis in the Orthodox world because a number of Orthodox synagogues now have women rabbis. I'm not exaggerating. And in some cases, they're called rabbi. In some cases, they call them rabbinit. Sometimes they call them, uh, you know, maharat. Call them what you will, they're rabbis. Sometimes they're the only rabbi in the synagogue. They're only clergymen. So this is what's going on in America today. And this prayer book, this, this siddur, has a lot of things for the women. And what's scary to me is that it's a sign of a breakaway, a movement separating the Jews. And, and, and the problem is, and you'll see in a second when I'm going when to when talk about it, that the problem is that it's going to be confusing to all of the girls and women. It has to be confusing because where do you draw the line? And this sitter is going to make a lot of things available that our girls and women never thought about. And it's going to create a lot of different ideas. You know, this radio station had a, a problem with a certain uh, synagogue in, in Florida. I'm not going to go into details again. If you remember it, you remember it. And that synagogue is ordering a thousand sedurim for everybody in the shul. It's a gigantic shul. They're ordering a thousand sedurim and they're going to keep a few art scrolls just for posterity. But they're getting rid of the art scroll completely. It's off the shelves. Only this sitter is going to be in the shul. Now listen to some of the things that are in this sitter for the women. First of all, they no longer translate 
anything as he. Everything is one, like one person or one, you know, one may say. No one, never he anymore. No translation will be he. It's all one. They, they are uh, encouraging the women and they're mentioning how they, women should recite Birkos HaGoymel. They, uh, they, are, they, they talk about, I'm reading from the paper, from them, the importance of halachic prenuptial agreements. Now, that's in the Siddur. This is not a book on halacha. Where do you have to have, and where, do you, where is the davening of the prenuptial agreements? I don't understand the connection between prenuptial agreements and the Siddur. It's all a political thing uh, going on now on the birth of a girl. Now, I didn't know that. That they have a whole that some people are making a whole ceremony on the birth of a girl. Now there's a Sephardic tradition of Zevet Habat. Maybe it's it's practiced by some of the people, but they're now talking about Brita. In other words, instead of a bris for a male, this is a Brita for a female. They have bris habas, they call it sometimes. And they're they're pushing a whole ceremony to replace the bris that the man has. For the woman who doesn't have a bris, they're making a new, uh, a new, a new program and that what everyone. What about have to, the other? Well, let me let me let me finish I the whole thing because we have only a couple <laughs> minutes left. I want to make sure I get it all in here. They're pushing zimun for for women to make birchas zimun. Now there is in halacha a, a, a permission for women to make a birchas zimun by themselves, not with men, but with all women. And, and, and of course, women can answer when they're benching with men, but they to make a, 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 a zeman by themselves, according to halach, is 100% permissible. But this is being pushed. And in the, the, the girls' schools that we send our girls to, most of us, you, they don't mention it as in any way. They don't want to encourage it. They feel that there are reasons why we shouldn't encourage it. Al it's mutter, but this sitter is pushing that. Um, the the prayer for the female head of the household, I think in the Berchas Amazon. I've seen it in the Sidurim, but in the benches, but it seems that they want to have equal. Everything is equal. Um, they they change the, like for example, in the Kale Moles, this is not so terrible. In the Kale Moles and some sort of the, the, the davening, instead of, you know, Yitain, they'll say Yitain and Titain. You have a choice. That makes sense. There's nothing wrong with that. But the the Zevet Bahabas, the the Brita, Brit Habas, the uh, importance of halachic prenuptial agreements. This is not a this is not anymore a sitter. This is a movement, and I'm scared. Personally, I'm scared. I'm scared that what's going to happen is it's going to be a, another nail in the coffin of some of the people who want to celebrate Judaism together with us. That we can't have unity anymore when we're rejecting the art scroll sitter for a sitter that that talks about the importance of the prenuptial agreements, has a special ceremony on the birth of a girl, a, um, a special brachos for women, Hanukkah Sabayas, and the Brita. All of this is is somehow pushing a new Judaism that I'm not ready for. And I don't know what you feel, but I, I feel very sad to see this happen. I think it is uh, another step on the way out. For some people, it's good. It, it, it's wonderful. And I, I, don't, I don't think I could uh, 
say each thing is wrong, but I definitely don't feel happy about the innovation and that uh, somehow our brand of Judaism has not been satisfactory to certain elements. Just in the couple of minutes remaining, I'm just going to tell you about a, a scary thing that I read, and you could uh, read it. It's It was in January 10th in the uh, Hamodia. Borough Park family says anti-Semitic Spirit Airlines crew made flight a nightmare. What I want you to get is that, and I don't have time to read very much of it, what I want you to get is that don't think just because we're from and we try to be nice and we try to be straight and honest, don't think that we're not going to run into anti-Semitism right there in the plains and you can't do anything about it. This family... The whole fight that seemed to have occurred was over uh, when they were getting on, they, they, were, they had a baby carriage. And the baby carriage could be used as a seat. And one woman didn't want to let them take it on. And, she, and they pushed it, their way in and said, well, no, we're going to do it. We have permission. They had the permission to put it in. And then the, the people in the plane were telling where to put it. And this woman started a whole scene and uh, you know one of the one of the workers there in the plane and she got the manager and the manager called the gate supervisor to come onto the plane and remove the car seat uh, to the check the the, uh, the baggage compartment and when they did that then there was a fight over where the couple was sitting with the children they have three girl little girls and uh, the question was where they're sitting you know, three daughters and and, and there was they didn't cooperate so they the the, the flight personnel were not acting properly so they asked him what's your name he said jose what's your last name shut up they said you can't talk to me like this i can say whatever i want i'm going to have law enforcement waiting for you when the plane lands and law enforcement got on the plane when the plane landed and arrested these people a borough park family it's scary the company denies it and claims that, that you know the, 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 the people weren't, but, they, but we had this proof not that way. It, it's going to be an issue. I wrote Spirit Airlines and they haven't, they answered me that we're going to answer you, but they haven't answered yet. I think it's, it's just to remember we're in the world. It's not our world. And we have to be very, very careful and not think that everybody's always going to be nice and cooperate as much as you can and, and just try as much as possible to avoid conflict because we're, it is not our world. We don't own it. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week. You can reach us during the week if you have any Kashrus issues or you want to get the magazine, Kashrus Magazine or Kashrus Monthly. Uh, you, or you can see us on, online at kashrusmagazine.com. You can call us 718-336-8544, or you can email us at Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Till next week, I have, this is Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kasha's Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.